Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I am going to be giving game previews for the Thunder as well as the OKC Blue. Now, I was intending on this episode being like kind of one of those branch off episodes where I talk about a lot of different stuff, but I didn't really have the time and once again my internet's kind of bugging out again due to all the snowstorms that have been going on. So, a little bit crunched down. I'll make sure to try to get one of those episodes out on the weekend because I know you guys tend to kind of prefer those a little bit more. So I'm going to try to mix those in a lot more and that should be coming back into fruition this weekend. But anyways, going into the games today, starting with the Thunder, both sides, the Thunder as well as the Bucks, they are extremely cold. Now, the Thunder, they played Milwaukee last Sunday, and they actually took the W. They won 114-109 to 109 without Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is back, and they're going to be in Milwaukee, going to be facing off at 7 p.m. And I think some of the determining factors that you need to look into for this game, it's got to start with how the team kind of regroups with Shea around them because the style of ball that the Thunder were employing against the Milwaukee Bucks was amazing in their last game. Everyone was spreading the love around. It was not a number one option. I think that's really what caught the Milwaukee Bucks off guard for the majority of this game. Justin Jackson, obviously, this was the game where he just blew up, hit some really clutch shots to collect 22 points, had another 20-piece in Al Horford, and actually, everyone in the starting lineup, they had double digits, and the, the ball was just being spread around. They had 32 assists. That is completely ridiculous, especially to see that in the NBA. That's stuff that the OKC Blue have done, but that's because they're able to just drop it down low to Moses Brown every single play. You got to work for it, especially against one of the team's best in the Milwaukee Bucks. So the fact they didn't seem to have any sort of issues with them is amazing, and they didn't even have their number one ball handler at all. This was when... They didn't even have Teo Maladone either. So this was a, a pretty unique circumstance that we saw. I don't think we're going to see that kind of starting five again. That was when they had Dort, Kenrich Williams, Justin Jackson, Basie, and Horford being your starting five. But hey, it worked out very well. And one of the main reasons was because Al Horford was a major distributor around the free throw line. He was kind of just posted up there. Brooke Lopez, he's not that athletic. So it allowed for Horford to kind of stay back a little bit. Brooke Lopez, if he wanted to try to come up, it led to some nice penetrations and backdoor cuts. And if he didn't, hey, Al Horford can shoot a little bit too. So that's where he got a lot of these turnaround J's and he was just straight up wide open shots, right? I don't know if you're going to see that now with SGA back in the rotation. And now, I mean, Horford's back in the rotation. We had Roby in our last game against the Grizzlies. So you could maybe see a difference in style of plays here. It's going to be a lot more screens, not as much backdoor cutting, I would like to say. And how is that going to impact them? Because I think the Milwaukee Bucks, at least with their current roster, all of them can kind of play one-on-one. It's whenever you factor in people slashing inside and kind of creating pandemonium that they crumble, and that's what happened on Sunday. I mean, we know Giannis is one of the best defenders in the entire NBA. They don't have Drew Holiday, but if they did, he is also one of the best defenders in the league. So lucky the Thunder don't have to worry about his potential abilities on Shea. 
It's either going to be Bryn Forbes or Dante DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo, he's a great perimeter defender. Bryn Forbes is solid as well, but definitely not on the same kind of standard there. That's probably your weak spot that you're looking at. And then you have Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez. So out of those, the only kind of blind spots are in Brooke Lopez and Bryn Forbes, I would say. But even off the bench, they got some solid players in Pat Connaughton. Bobby Portis is pretty solid at defense too. So if they wanted to go all out on defense, maybe you could try to throw Portis in there. He had three steals in um, Sunday's matchup. I don't think that's typical of him. He's more of a rim protector guy, but throw him in. And Connaughton, he always does his things when it comes to getting in the passing lane. So they have a lot of options if you want to do one-on-one. It's all about trying to get motion around the team. And you're going to need a lot of bench points if you want to be able to tackle the Milwaukee Bucks. We saw it in players in Jackson, Kenrich Williams. Now with the roster back to 100% for the most part outside of George Hill, Ariza, and the guys who are with the Oklahoma City Blue right now, you should be able to make a pretty strong push here. And you're not going to be able to just do it with... Your, your typical starting five. You need Jackson. You need Kenrich Williams. You need Hamadou Diallo. He was a complete no-show in the first game. 3 of 16 shooting for just 6 points. And he couldn't even get to the free throw line. Now, Hamadou Diallo, since that game, has been doing very solid. He had double digits in the game against Portland. As well as this past game against the Memphis Grizzlies. He was actually re- relied on a lot off of the bench. So... Will he take on that role again and just charge right at the Milwaukee Bucks defense? We will have to see on that one. But it could be a real momentum shifter if we see this version of Diallo where the Bucks just simply cannot stop him because it leads to a lot more avenues to the three-point line. And players such as Mike Muscala who had that t- great 21-piece against the Grizzlies I don't know if it's sustainable, but you definitely want to get Muscala open, especially at the top of the key that tends to be his hotspot. When you're going and pushing the pace in like the fast breaks, Muscala is always just laying low on the play, and he's always going to be wide open at the top of the key for the kickout. So maybe trying to work on that a lot, that could help you out a ton, and you still got your typical shooters at the three positions as well how about Isaiah Roby though he was starting against the Grizzlies and he did a pretty good job against Jonas Valanciunas he ended up finishing the game with 10 points eight rebounds and four assists because Valanciunas couldn't keep up with him if he's coming in in this game he's likely facing off against Bobby Portis who is on another level when it comes to athleticism that's when you compare him with Valanciunas I'd say Portis and Isaiah Roby, when they match up, Roby has a bit of an edge in terms of top speed, but Portis takes the cake when it comes to just surefire strength. So that's a good matchup you have off the bench, and Isaiah Roby will need to just dominate that battle if the Thunder want to have any chance in this game because Bobby Portis has been a beast. He secretly just puts up double digits. Sometimes he'll get double doubles for the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, in the last game that they played, against us he had 21 points and six rebounds off the bench and he even converts from three all the time too so he can potentially go off again you need to stop that and you stop it with Isaiah Roby trying to match him at the five spot and he's going to need to just be dominant to make sure there's no extra possessions coming from 
offensive rebounds right there. I think we all know, and it's something I always stress, Darius Baisley becomes the wild card because he's facing the Milwaukee Bucks' best player in Giannis. If Baisley can somehow take Giannis out of the equation, the Thunder win this game, no question. You can't win with simply Chris Middleton, Bobby Portis, and and Brooke Lopez. You know what I'm saying? I don't think Baisley's going to be able to stop him. He's Giannis is pretty much unstoppable. If he gets to a point where he's not able to crack like 20 points, that's an absolute W in the Thunder's eyes. He had 24 in the last game, and it, obviously it wasn't enough for him. So just limiting him there is great. But on the same token, you need Baisley to step up. He had one of his best performances of the year against the Bucks when he went for 18 points on 8 of 13 shooting, dropped down against the Blazers. Then he had, in his last game against the Grizzlies, another solid performance. 7 of 14 shooting, 4 of 8 for downtown, 18 points. Is this little market trend of him having an amazing game and just falling off a cliff over and over again going to continue? Because if that trend stands true, this is going to be a down game for Darius Baisley. It simply cannot happen. He needs to sustain this level of play for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think you're going to need a lot of threes from someone like Teo Maladon, who, along with SGA, I mean, Maladon has had times where he's the best catch-and-shoot player on the court. If he's going to be left open by Bryn Forbes, Connaughton, DiVincenzo, whatever, he needs to be given the ball at will. I want to see him firing it away because it gives you a pretty solid chance at winning. And now moving along to the Oklahoma City Blue game today, they are going to be facing off against the Lakeland Magic. This one will take place at 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. A bit of a storyline heading into this game has to do with Chasson Randall, and he beasted for the Blue in the first two games of the season. He averaged, I think he averaged like 20 points, 3.5 rebounds, and 2 assists or something on really good shot percentages and the magic who are down a lot of point guards they needed him so they got cole anthony out they got markel fultz out they needed a pickup at the point guards they swooped up Jason randall they actually are starting to play him in the nba right now like he's playing for the straight up orlando magic so he's not playing for lakeland is he going to drop down and play in this game to be quite honest with you, with you, I highly doubt it. I think they want Randall as a long-term backup while Fultz is kind of having a, to rehab. And it's it's pretty much a one-year deal because he got 50 games on the uh, two-way. Yeah, he's pretty much got an NBA contract with them. So congratulations to Randall. But I don't expect him to be playing with the team right here, which sucks because I would have loved to see that. I think it also helps the Thunder too because... I mean, uh, look, if they don't have Randall, one of their main players since he's a two-way, they had to clear out a spot in Frank Mason to get Randall. So Frank Mason's not going to be playing for them either. So you take out potentially one of their greatest scorers in Randall or Mason. You can kind of pick and choose there. And you're left with a little bit of a dumbed-down roster. So makes it a bit easier on the hands of the Oklahoma City Blue but if they want to win, it's got to start with the interior again. And the OKC Blue, they've been killing it. They are 4-1 and one on the season right now. 
seemingly no one has been able to stop them, and they're pretty much one of the top contenders in the league. They have been a dominant force when it comes to playing inside. They had a bit of a decline going up against the Hustle this week. They had 48 points in the paint, but in those prior games, they had 72 points in the paint and 90 points in the paint. So they are very focused on working on the inside. So you're going to see a lot from Moses Brown and Omer Yurt 7, but also I mean, they can stretch out the floor too, and that's exactly how they beat the Hustle this week. It didn't have to come from the paint entirely. They actually buried 15 of their 25 threes, so they look like Steph Curry left wide open out there. And if they're able to continue to remain open against the Magic, I think they should be very good to go. They have a lot of hot pieces, especially from the perimeter right now. I'd say Antonius Cleveland probably tops that list, but there's still some amazing players that I would also throw into the equation. I think Rob Edwards may also be in that elite level too. It seems like he's always shooting above the 50% mark from downtown. I think truthfully, he may just end up getting a two-way contract if a spot opens up across the league. He's been that good as a shot creator and just catch and shoot man in general. Need him off the bench for a win obviously but Melvin Frazier Jr. he's been great too he's not like the Edwards type where he's a bit smaller and he has to like run around and like do you know off the dribble shots Frazier he just lets the ball kind of get into his hands and he's left open for threes quite often so he's like a corner specialist who doesn't really have much like he doesn't show off the pull-up game a ton he's more of either catch and shoot three maybe like one dribble step into it or he just attacks inside, and he's very good. He has a wide array of moves, like spinning into his layups, as well as kind of sidestepping defenders. So maybe we could see a breakout game from Melvin Frazier Jr. He may be a little bit angry at the Magic, might have some, may have some built-up uh, blood, I guess you could say, against these guys because the Magic they picked up Frazier in 2018 with a very high second-round pick. I think it was pick 35, and they pretty much never used him. He just played for the Lakeland Magic, never for the actual Orlando Magic. So he wants to make a statement. That's why everyone out there is deciding to play in this G League bubble. They want to make a statement and prove why they want they sh- deserve to be in the NBA. This is one that Melvin Fraser Jr. probably has been thinking about a lot. He wants to show the franchise how much they kind of mistreated him and how they had a really nice piece in him. So maybe Melvin Frazier Jr. off the bench might get a bit more minutes off of Coach Gibbs and might be able to produce a lot more with the squad. But there have been some nice players who have kind of come out of the woodworks lately to contribute for the team. And it starts with Jalen Horde. He's not really a three-point shooter at all, but he's very great when it comes to attacking the basket. Like a six-foot-eight prototype I would say like a a point forward kind of dude he has been getting a lot of minutes I actually think he got the starting nod in the game against the hustle I don't know what the starting lineup will be against Lakeland but maybe he'll be able to go for double digits yet again again he had 15 in the last game I think a thunder assignee um Ty Jerome I mean he looked very very good against the hustle he had his best game yet ending up dropping 16 points on 6 of 10 shooting, 1 of 3 
from downtown, and he also had four assists too. So he's very good at making passes. I think when it comes to like getting through layers of defense, he doesn't do it on his own. So if he is getting points, it's going to come a lot from screens and him working on the runners. That's how he got a lot of points in the last one, and that's really what he specializes in. He might be able to pull up if he's wide open on threes, but yeah, I expect to see a lot of inside play from him. He actually flashed being able to go through a lot of contact as well, so that was very promising to see from him. Maybe Ty Jerome wants to get a little bit more aggressive and expand what he's been doing because he's kind of been boxed in to begin this season, and I think if anything, if you're given a chance like this and you already have you know, the NBA bag, you might as well just try to work on everything while you're out here. And the same can be said with someone like Alexei Pokachevsky. He didn't even play in the hustle game, but he has been pretty cold throughout the bubble. I'd probably say he played better in the NBA than in Orlando so far, but he's going to be playing again. Maybe he's able to get the lid off of the basket, and it could help because he should be getting a lot of wide-open looks. One of those guys who should give wide-open looks, Xavier Simpson. He's been leading the team in assists throughout the year, and he's been beasting not just in passing. Now he's working on, you know, he has this little like signature almost skyhook layup package that he's had throughout college. He hasn't used it a ton so far with the blue. I think he's maybe pulled it off like three, four times throughout the first five games, but maybe he might want to go into more of an attack mode because he has looked a lot more comfortable going inside. He used to just like go in and immediately look to pass. He's not necessarily doing that now, and he's even shooting the rock a little bit. So you're going to see probably a lot of threes here. You still got a lot of points that you're going to see from Moses Brown and Yurt 7. I'm going to be shocked if they ever lose a rebounding battle. I think that they have out-rebounded their opponent literally every game so far this season. And it's been by like a gigantic margin. So yeah, I expect to see, see a lot of board crashing, a lot of three-pointers. And hey... I mean, they have a lot of defensive guys as well, so maybe Lakeland may run a bit cold when it comes to racking up points. I Honestly, whenever I was assessing the Lakeland Magic's roster, there's not a lot of guys who stick off the sheets here. I mean, you have guys like Mamadi Daikite, who was very great in his college, uh, college year with Virginia. My bad, but everyone else... I don't really know a lot about them, to be quite honest with you, but they are entering the game at 3-2, and two, so it should tell you at least a little bit about how good this team can be, so you don't want to just undervalue them immediately. I think when it comes to just the roster construction, it's a little bit better than other teams that the Blue have faced thus far, because they do have a real center. Other teams, like, I think the Blue were going up against small ball lineups where their tallest people on squads are like 6'8", 6'7". They have a real center in John Teske, 265 pounds. So he should be able to man up to Moses Brown. I don't know exactly if he's going to be as fast as Brown and Yurt 7. I mean, Teske's not going to be out there the whole game, and they blew up a 1-2 punch. I guess you could count like Diakite as someone you could throw in there with Teske, but I don't know. Honestly, I'd give the blue the edge, and from deep, i give them the edge too. So, I expect this one to be a good game for the blue. I don't normally predict, but I'd probably say that they 
should win this one by a good margin. We will see what happens there though. Same goes with the Thunder game. Should be pretty exciting to watch both of them and I highly suggest you do. You already know Thunder games on Fox Sports Oklahoma might be on League Pass as well and the Blue games. This one's on ESPN Plus. So if you don't have the subscription, highly suggest you pick it up. I am picking it up for these next two months while the bubble's going on. I might continue it later. We'll see though. I uh, had to buy it for the blue ones though because these are some pretty good games to watch. So yep. Other than that though guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I know it was a little bit of a quick one here. I definitely promise to get you some of these longer episodes over the weekend. But yeah, thank you all for listening and I will talk to you all tomorrow. See ya.